My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about something that we are all guilty of, something that we all probably struggle with, and something that will be an issue in all of our lives until we one day get to heaven, and that is sin. Now, anytime I'm ever talking to a child about becoming a Christian and giving his or her heart to Jesus Christ, I always define sin as anything we do that makes God unhappy. So I would say to a child, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever gotten a fight with your uh, brother or sister? Have you ever cheated on a test? Have you ever lost your temper? And they say, yes, 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 yes. And I say to that child, well, those things are called sins because a sin is anything we do that makes God unhappy. And the Bible says, All of us have done those things. All have sinned, the Scripture says, and fall short of the glory of God. It's interesting as we read different words and descriptions of sin in the Bible, we we come up with some different definitions and some different meanings. I suppose the most basic meaning of the word sin is the word to miss the mark. That's, That's really what the word sin literally means, to miss the mark. And so in your life and in my life, Before we were ever born, God had a target, and in the middle of that target, there was a bullseye, and that bullseye represented God's perfect will for our lives. Now, the Bible says all have sinned, and so what does that mean? It means we've all missed the bullseye. In fact, we have missed the the entire target. We have sinned. We've veered to the right. We have veered to the left. We've done things that are wrong. And so that's what a sin is. We've just, we've missed the mark. We were aiming for perfection, but the Bible says we've missed it. Another definition for the word sin is to fall short. In fact, in Romans chapter 3 and verse uh, 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so God has a standard that he expects us to measure up to, and yet we've not measured up to it. We have fallen short. That standard is perfection. In God's standard, we would uh, never sin at all, and yet we have sinned. We have fallen short. So think about what I've said so far. We've all missed the mark, and we have all fallen short. And then another word in the Bible for sin is the word trespass. Now, maybe we're a little more familiar with that word. Sometimes you'll go somewhere or see a sign, maybe out on a sidewalk or uh, maybe in, a, in an abandoned building or maybe on a crime scene or something. That There's a sign, and it just says, no trespassing. And so it's clear that a line has been drawn, and you're not supposed to cross over that line. If you cross over that line, you have trespassed. You have gone somewhere you were not supposed to go. Well, the Bible says when it comes to God, we have all crossed the line. Think about that. God has has drawn a line in the sand, as it were, and God has said, don't trespass, don't cross that line, and if you cross that line, you're going to be guilty of sinning. 
So the scripture says God had a bullseye, but we've missed it. God has a standard. We have fallen short. God has drawn a line in the sand, and yet we have stepped over that line. We have sinned. We have fallen short, and we have trespassed. Now, on today's program, we're going to be listening to a sermon that my father, Charles Redmond, preached to our church here in Pasadena several weeks ago about one of the most well-known sins in all the Bible. It's a sin we read about in John chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to get it and open it to that passage of Scripture. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus told a story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And so this was not a rumor. This was not gossip. This was not somebody accused her of that. This lady was actually caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders brought this lady to Jesus, and they said to him, they said, according to the Old Testament law, this lady should be killed. And they were trying to put Jesus on the spot and trying to get him in trouble, really, because they knew that if he said, okay, let her be killed, then his grace and compassion and mercy would be compromised. But they also knew that if he did not enforce that Old Testament law, that they could, inc- they could accuse him of, you know, not, o- not keeping the Old Testament law and not doing what they thought that God would want to be done in that particular situation. So they were kind of putting Jesus between a rock and a hard spot. And yet Jesus responded to this lady with such grace, with such tenderness, and with such compassion. And as we think about this lady's sin— of adultery and how Jesus dealt with it, it causes us to think about the sins in our lives, the things that we have done wrong, all the times that we have missed the mark, that we have fallen short, that we have crossed the line. And so in today's program, we're going to be thinking about how Jesus deals with sin, whether it's the sin of adultery or any other sin. And I hope today that this program will be a blessing to you. Jesus deals with sins very honestly. He deals with sin very honestly. We need to learn from that. Now, first of all, the woman, no question about it, she had sin. In Jesus' day, adultery was one of the three major sins. Now, there were many sins, but three major. Number one, idolatry. Number two, murder. And number three, in Jesus' day, this matter of adultery. And even today, I'm not suggesting that the Jews are not any of them guilty of adultery. But Orthodox Jews, the Jewish people that take their religion seriously, this matter of adultery is a very, very, very serious matter. Not our last trip to Israel, which was this time this year, nor the one previous. But when I was ready to do the one previous, I said to my tour company, I want this certain guide to be my guide again. And they said to me, he no longer guides. I said, what do you mean no longer guides? They said, he no longer guides. I said, well, I heard that. Well, what happened to him? They said, well, He got involved with somebody on a tour group, had an affair. He's been just kicked out of being a guide for anybody. So, you know, we don't tolerate adultery here. I thought, 
Well, when I read this story, see, it goes way back, even to Jesus' day, this matter of adultery. And, and the Mosaic law forbid adultery. In fact, you may want to jot the verse. And in Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 10 is what the scribes and Pharisees, they were referring to that law of Moses. The seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. So there's no question I mean, Jesus deals with this woman in a very honest way. In fact, in verse 11, if you look down in verse 11, he says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. I think the, old, the new King James says, go now and sin no more, however it says it. So it's not like Jesus is trying to cover this matter up. But not only that, he, he deals likewise with the sins of the accusers. I like this part. Now, in your Bible... And I'm still in the NIV at the moment. But if you look in verse number 6, Jesus bent down and started to write. You might want to underline that word, write. Now, the normal, like everybody says, what did Jesus write? Well, first of all, I don't know. But I'm okay because nobody else knows either. But I have an idea of what I think he wrote, and I want to give you the reason that I believe this. I think it's very, very important to this story. I think there's a great lesson. This word right, you see it in verse 6, and you also, if you look, if you look over uh, in, verse, in, verse number, in verse number 8, again, he stooped down and wrote again. Now, the, the, the normal Greek word used for to write is the word graphene, graphene. It's not important that you have to know that word, but that's just what the word is. Graphene translated always into English as, as write or to write. But here, now this is insightful, I think. The word here is not graphene. The word here is kata, K-A-T-A, graphene. And kata, that prefix kata, always means against. And so the word here, both in verse 6 and in verse uh, 9, uh, verse 8, excuse me, it's not graphene, it's kata graphene, which what that means is Jesus wrote down against someone. Now, I'm not saying that I know what Jesus wrote in the sand, but I am saying what this word means. It means Whatever he wrote in the sand, he, he did so writing against what someone or someone's had done. Now, as you read this story, it's interesting. It says, uh, the, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. That's catagraphene. At this, those who heard him began to go away. Now, the question is, why'd they start going away? Why didn't they cast some stones? Well, this is... Uh, this is my opinion, and you don't, there'll be no special offering taken up for my opinion. But catagraphene means to write against someone. I think, based on what that word is, based on what the story tells about all these accusers leaving, I think what Jesus was writing, I think he was writing in the sand the sins of the accusers. Think about it. Why would they have walked out like that?
And, and the older ones first, then the next to the oldest, the next to the oldest. <laughs> they just had more sins for Jesus to write about. That's my speculation. But something made them happen. The point I make is this, though. Jesus dealt with the sin of this woman honestly, and these, Jesus dealt with the sins of these accusers, I think. No question about the woman, but I think he dealt with that very honestly. He just wrote it down. They looked. See, Jesus knew them. You know, they may not have been guilty of adultery, but I guarantee you one thing, they were guilty of sin because everybody that's born is a sinner. Now, what do we learn? Very quickly, folks, listen. We need to deal with our own sins in an honest way. We need to be honest that we are sinners and admit to ourselves that we are sinners. See, we excuse sin. We, we have multiple ways we overlook our own sins. You know, I could spend my whole sermon time illustrating in my own life ways I do that. And you likewise. We excuse this. We call it by some other name. We compare ourselves to other people. We, it's just amazing the different ways that mankind can just sin and won't even admit to themselves that they sin. I want to encourage you this morning, be honest with yourself about sin. And if you'll do that, it'll be one of the most healthy things you've ever done. Because if you're honest with yourself, you realize you have sin, then you do what? Then you ask God's forgiveness of that sin. You experience God's cleansing, and you move on in a very wonderful way. The Apostle Paul was good at that. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. He, he, he knew he was a sinner. Right into Timothy, I love what he said to Timothy. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the chief among all sinners. We won't even admit to ourselves we sin. We, we play games with ourselves. And, it's, and this, the problem, that I'll tell you what it does. It, it's like gaining weight, if I can use that example. You know, the first thing we say when our clothes begin to be tight, we say the cleaners are shrinking my clothes. Yeah. And then we just have a lot of games we play. I mean, it is what it is. Just get on the scales, whatever you weigh, you weigh. It may bounce around a pound or two. It won't always be the same every day. But, I mean, your blood pressure is your blood pressure. Your cholesterol is your cholesterol, you know. So I said, you got high blood pressure. Well, everybody in my family has high blood pressure. So what? Well, a whole, a whole lot of so what? You know, you, you need to do what you need to do and quit Mickey Mousing around with stuff. It is what it is. Be honest with yourself. It's a painful thing. But the Apostle Paul, other than Jesus, used more, I think, than any human who ever lived on this earth. And I believe the reason was he realized he was a sinner. I hope you understand that. Number two thing, quickly this morning, Jesus deals with sin graciously, graciously. He said to this woman, look in verse 11a, neither do I condemn you. He, he, he expressed grace to her. I wish you'd write this little three words down. Grace trumps sin. It trumps sin. Now, we're talking about dealing with other peoples now. Jesus dealt with other people graciously. He, he did that. I love that old song. 
I love that old song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. I thought about just bursting out singing it. I suggested to Dottie yesterday, I said to her, you know, I think I'm going to sing this song. She said, I, I would encourage you not. <laughs> I'd encourage you not. Always I listen to what she says, and I shall not. But I'll tell you what, I can say the song. You know the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. That's that, that's that stand, but the chorus, we know the chorus, you know the chorus. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Jimmy, we just, we just, I, I don't want to sing it by myself. We've got to sing that little chorus. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. Let's sing it one more time, just a little bit more like we believe it. Can you do it? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon. Amen to that. Bless the Lord. Listen, jot this down in your little outline, if you will. Don't be a stone thrower. Be a grace giver. I stumbled getting out. Now I'm going to do it again. Don't be a stone thrower. Be a grace giver. Someone has said Christians make up the only army that shoot their wounded. It's so sad. It's so sad. If you have a brother or a sister in the Lord or a family member or a friend and they have fallen in some sin, the last thing they need is for you or me to throw a stone. They need to deal with that sin, yes, but they need to find that the church is a place of grace. I say it over and over, not just to say it over and over. We Oh, God, may we always be a church of grace. Could I have an amen to that? That does not mean we make light of sin, but oh, I'm telling you what, grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and you and I can be a grace giver. Jesus was, and we must be. Not only that, Jesus deals with sin. Uh, he deals with sin redemptively, and I wish you'd jot that word down. He deals with sin honestly. He deals with sin graciously. He deals with sin redemptively. To the woman, he said, very interesting, verse 11, uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, look, you, you've messed up. We're going to put you in the corner the rest of your life. And you're going to be like a leper, unclean. No, no, that's not how it is. 
The NIV, I love it, says, go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, Jesus said, get on a new path. And then the good part, and I want to read this out of the, uh, out of the New King James. If you look in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus tells us how to get on a new path. I love the thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just tell us what to do. The Bible tells us how to do it. In verse 12, in John chapter 8, in verse number 12, after Jesus had said to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, follow Jesus and you'll walk in the light and you'll have victory over sin. That's how you do it. That is exactly how you do it. You follow him and you follow what he teaches. In the rest of this chapter, he talks a a great deal about that. Now, I mentioned when we began this morning, we have a lot of things in common. We all eat. We all sleep. We all go to the grocery store. We all experience things we just do not understand. We all sin. So we got all these things in common. But let me add one more. Let me add one more. Another thing we have in common is that our sins can be forgiven. Whatever sin you've committed, however many sins you've committed, here's one thing we have in common. Your sins can be forgiven. And I could go person by person in this room this morning, stand right in front of you and look each one in the face and say, my dear brother, my dear sister, whatever sin or sins you've committed, they can be forgiven. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. So we have that in common. That's it. The Bible tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a tremendous thing we all have in common. We've not all committed the same sins. Some maybe, but most maybe not. But the point is this. In common, all of us can have our sins forgiven. And then one other little thing I add to the list this morning that we have in common. Great thing it is. And that is that we all in common have the same way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Catholics, the Independents, the whoever's out there. Let me tell you what, folks. There's only one way to heaven, and it's not the Baptist way. It's the Jesus way. It's not the Catholic way. (laughs) It's not. It's Jesus Jesus died on the cross, spilt his blood to pay for our sins, and then said to us, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father. No one can go to heaven except, how now? Through me. Well, I don't know about you, but that sermon is very encouraging to me to think that Jesus Christ deals with our sins graciously and tenderly and redemptively, and to think that no matter what sin we have committed, 
Jesus Christ is willing and able to forgive that sin. And friend, I don't know who you might be today, what you might have done. It may have been a sin you committed a long time ago. Maybe it was a sin you committed last night and you feel horribly about it. And you're wondering even now, could God ever forgive that sin? And friend, the answer to that question is yes, God can forgive that sin and every sin. The devil would have you to live in bondage and in guilt and regret and in shame. Jesus Christ would have you to confess that sin openly and publicly, to bring that sin to him. Don't call it by another name. Don't make an excuse for it. Don't play like it wasn't that big a deal. Just say, Lord, here's what I've done. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Cleanse me of that sin. And if you've never been saved, you can just ask Jesus Christ right now to come into your heart and to make you a Christian. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that word all is a small word, but brother, it covers everything. It covers every sin you and I have ever committed or will ever uh, commit. And so receive that forgiveness today and walk in freedom. I'm so grateful to have my good friend Rick Lipsy in the studio with us today. Rick, tell them about our website and how they might could be blessed by visiting it. Well, our website is peacebybelieving.org. On that, if you missed any part of today's message, you can listen to that broadcast again today on the website right now and find a book called Finding Freedom Through Forgiveness and read that also. And so I do encourage you to visit our website. Uh, there are some helpful sermons you can listen to. There are booklets you can read. That one on forgiveness after today's message might really be appropriate. But I hope you'll visit it. Contact us. Let us know where you're listening from. And we hope you'll be with us next time.